This is Mind Rolling. I'm Raghu, and I am with Lily Cushman. And Lily's an old friend and has written a, a delightful book. Uh, first of all, it's delight. First of all, welcome, Lily. Thank you, Raghu. So nice to be here. So delightful is one word to say about this book, but um, more appropriately, uh, since it's it's about mantra, and uh, it's called a little bit of a little bit of mantras. An introduction to sacred sounds, and since our mission here at Mind Rolling, if we have one, is certainly to try and give us all methodology to get our lives a little bit more in balance. Mm -hmm. So uh, certainly, this particular a practice that encompasses more than one practice, really, uh, that there's many different avenues that people can pick. Uh, in the mantra world, yeah. uh, you know, they can be sung, they can be repeated, they can be, you can use um, rosary beads, right? The, everyone, in, which is a mala in Hindi. So there's a few, you can write it. So there's different ways, yes, yeah. uh, that it can happen. So first though, what were you doing when you were a little guy and wondering what in the hell is this world? And you were out in the middle of the country Tell us a little bit about how you came up through and what was the, yeah. what was the development of your story? Yeah, well, I grew up in Boise, Idaho, and um, I, um, I was exposed kind of from an early age to a, a variety of, of different worlds because both my, my parents were seekers in different ways. and. Um, so I think, um, you know, like many people who come to these practices, um, I just got kind of curious from a young age about, you know, what what options were out there. Um, and when um, I first went to college, I was really overwhelmed um, and I was studying music in Boston and um, it was a really kind of unhealthy culture as many colleges are. And um, I was uh, just kind of looking for a way to take care of myself. So I started working with a shaman who had been a teacher of my mother's from Idaho. So you, and you got all this. I mean, you had a nice start because your parents yeah. were, were into, I mean, that's unusual. I mean, that didn't happen to me and most people I know. So you you had some grounding that there is a reality outside of what society and uh, uh, the norms are being dictated to me and get a good job and or Definitely. get married and have children yeah so that's pretty lucky yeah and I'm you know I'm I'm a, a generation under yours both you know my parents were um, kind of part of that first wave of people who are looking for a different way to do things my dad was in a men's group my entire life. I thought that was normal. Didn't realize <laughs> for a while it wasn't. And um, yeah, my mom had been a nun actually for mm. like six years before um, running away with a priest. who <laughs> <laughs> no. was not my father, but, um, and she ended up, you know, moving to like a householder life. And um, I wish I had a mom that ran away with a priest. Yeah. It's a pretty great story. Um, 
so yeah, it, there was a certain way that um, thinking outside of the cultural norms was pretty normal in my family. Mm. Um, but neither my neither my parents had really looked to um, many of the Eastern traditions. That was something that kind of uh, that I found myself. So definitely that foundation of like, oh, maybe there's another way to to show up here or another way to interface with the world was was very much from them. But um, it was kind of my own path of um, figuring out what worked for me in that way. And mm. uh, so I started to study with a shaman and very early on she suggested that I start practicing yoga. And um, at that time, yoga was not a thing. Look at this now. <laughs> um, in fact, she recommended a VHS for me. And um, I went and got it. Uh, I, I can't remember where I found it even, but um, I managed to get my hands on this VHS. And um, this was in 1997 or eight. And, uh, and I just really clicked right away. Um, within about a month, I had decided that I would uh, undertake a daily practice of doing these asanas. And they were very, very simple. It was like, a warrior pose and then you kind of rest on a chair and then you know like maybe a down dog and then you rest it was like very slow and um i just felt like it was a real remembering for me and it was something that i did uh very privately i'd roll out of bed every morning in my pajamas my glasses and do this practice and i i I did that for almost 10 years before I took a class. Really? Yeah, it was just it was just this thing I did and it became very normal to me as like part of my routine to just take care of myself. Mm. And some during, tragedy happened though. Yeah, in that period, right? For well, you. Well, th that's what was really um kind of remarkable about me getting such an early start is then um only a few years later, my mother passed away very suddenly. Mm. And um, there were a few other um, family losses, a few cousins of mine who died tragically. And um, I moved to New York City after finishing school the week before 9-11 and mm. literally watched the towers go down outside my window. Oh. So there was just a really kind of dramatic period of time in my life where um, – I lost a lot. Um, I mean, I had started with a lot. I come from, you know, a very privileged, educated position in our society, but um, but there were some pretty tremendous hits for me, um, family-wise, and like, um, I think that if I hadn't had the foundation of already some years of daily practice and kind of establishing just like a relationship with myself of like getting on the mat every day and like learning that, okay, I'm a little different every day, but I can still kind of be here and, and breathe. Um, that was huge to have during such a tumultuous time and a time when I was like shedding a lot of kind of layers of identity and I could see right away that without that toolkit, um, I just wouldn't have been able to handle it in an open way at all. Like it, and I see that now. I see a lot of people 
encountering trauma and it it's just too much and so they just have to shut down they go to you know whatever the mechanisms are that help them um you know check out and be able to handle it and i just felt really um I don't know what gave me the motivation from such a young age. I mean, I was 18 when I started that daily practice, hmm. but it was, um, it was a really big tool that I leaned into very heavily for a long time. And then, um, you know, some slowly it kind of opened up for me where I just learned more and more and got more books. And there came a point in time when I started studying full time with a teacher Dharma Mitra, who's a classical yoga teacher and um, was introduced to chanting and Krishna Das, but that all came about maybe eight years into daily practice for me. So um, then a lot kind of like opened up and I had never even considered like being a teacher or anything. It was just this thing I did for myself and it kept me sane and it kept me, um, I mean, a lot of it also was like, I learned how to be in my own body and uh, be okay with what was happening in my body and my mind um, without, you know, just always like pushing back and hating myself like mm. we all do. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, so that's a little bit of my, my journey with it. And I've, I've really been um, quite lucky to encounter some, some amazing teachers. Like I studied with Dharma very intensely and then, um, Krishna Das has been uh, um, my ex-husband made the documentary film about him on track heart. And during that time of filming, we became very close with KD and his family. And, um, and I went on to work for Krishna Das for maybe six, seven years. And that was, that was like a real, um, you know, time of me learning all there is to learn about that practice and world and being in that community. And, and then eventually I, I got shifted over to Sharon Salzburg mm -hmm. Mm. and similar things. So, um, yeah, so I, I've had a lot of blessings in that way to have mm. pretty tremendous exposure. So next thing is obviously through chanting and so on, you were introduced to, to what mantra is the power of it and the efficacy mm -hmm. of it. So, which of course led you to put this book together last year, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about the definition of what that is. And I, I know in the, in the book you say, uh, I'd never have thought of doing something as simple as, or weird as reciting words in another language and that it could have such a profound effect uh, on, on my life. And th mm -hmm. they did. Yeah, let's uh, yeah, talk about that and how you encountered that and how that became uh, real for you. Yeah. Well, my uh, first exposure, someone gave me a CD of Krishna Dasas, and that was the first time that I heard Sanskrit mantras. And um, I listened to the recording a little bit. It's the one album of his that's not, call and response it's longer prayers and I liked it like some you know like I was I was a musician so I sort of um, was used to listening to I put that in the category of world music because that door was, of faith yeah 
and uh, and beautifully done, you know, produced by Rick Rubin and incredible. And then the same friend invited me to what I thought was a concert at a church on the Upper West Side. This was probably in maybe 2003, something like that. And so um, I went to this concert and uh, he comes out and he's like sitting on the floor. So that's like a little different. And then he's, you know, says hi. And then he ohms and I was so shocked that the entire room full of, you know, a thousand people or whatever joined him in making this sound. And at this point I'd not gone to a yoga class before. So I'd, you know, I'd had like a little exposure to some of the names with like the yoga um, postures, the asanas, but I really, like I hadn't heard it at all in this context. And I just like spontaneously wept in that moment when I heard the whole room ohm. It was this yeah. really cathartic experience for me. And it took me years to understand that. Um, it took me years to really kind of come around to it. And um, I was really resistant to it actually for quite some time. Um, I think in part because... I just didn't I just didn't understand the draw. And at that point in time, like you couldn't just like get on Google, be like, what's a mantra? Like, you know, this was like 2003. There was some stuff about it, but not a lot, even at that point in time. And um, so I it, it was really um, when I started studying with Dharma Mitra he gave me a context for what it was because he taught, he taught classical yoga and the eight limbs of yoga and um, meditation and pranayama and relaxation. They were all in there. And that was where I kind of understood like, Oh, what are, what are these words? Mm. And but, but wait, let's go back. Cause when that Om happened in that church with Krishna Das mm -hmm. and a thousand people resonating with it and it hit you, in the core of you, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but then you're saying you still didn't kind of catch on to what it was. So, um, yeah, I, because, just pointing this out. Well, go ahead. Yeah, because like I almost it, like I didn't know what to do with it, and there was no like avenue for me to really explore it. Like I just Dude, went keep to this concert. Just keep homing. Yeah, but this is one of the things that's really interesting. Is um, I think there. Uh, because of the nature of um, a lot of kirtan, and we'll get to defining kirtan soon, but when you sing mantras, is they, you know, it's kind of disguised as music. And I think there's quite a gap for people to understand, well, this isn't just regular music, this is something else. And to figure out how to actually work with that. So it really wasn't until a, my teacher like sort of broke it down for me of like oh no you just sing the thing but it took me that really literal instruction to understand like mm. oh i can ohm like it's that it's that simple because um you know i i think i had some preconceived notions of like oh these this has to be this like really complicated thing and i gotta do that this and that that and that's mm. what practice mm. is you yeah. know yeah. i just had no context and even though i'd been doing um, asana for years I had no teacher like there was I just was like in the dark kind of mm. yeah 
So yeah. it really, it really took that structure from, mm-hmm. from Dharma. And then I was like, oh, this is, there's a whole world here. And in, in um, classical yoga, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of the many paths to reach ultimately the same place. Mm. So whether you're doing a path of devotion or a path of service or a path of study, um, it's said it's kind of just different roads leading to the same place. So that yeah. made sense to me. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of something, uh, actually how you're describing this and, and how you got this contextualization of mantra. Mm-hmm. Through Dharma Mitra, and uh, and that you needed it to yeah. to move forward. Well, I don't. You probably remember this, but Ramdas talks about this. Actually, probably in the movie Becoming Nobody, he talks about saying to. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about going to Maharaji and say, "Okay, how 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 should I raise my Kundalini?" And Maharaji love everyone and ramdas goes okay that's a wacky thing Great. you know Thank all you my so friends <laughs> all my friends are like meditating like yeah. 40 hours a day <laughs> yeah and yeah. you know just give me something of substance and then mm-hmm. he said so how can i get enlightened and feed people you know the, mm-hmm. these and ramdas finally understood that um he absolutely well, in this case, was missing the point of, mm-hmm. uh, and that's how Maharaji taught us so much about this is doing for you. The, you know, this is just more me, me land. You know, yeah. how can I get further yeah. ahead? This is the Westerner, Western concept. Mm-hmm. And now, in this particular case, for you to want more contextualization around it, that that was your, to me, that's part of your karmic path to to be able to absorb it in that way uh and uh i have uh, i have a good example of this that we can talk about later in, in, when we get to maha mantra mm-hmm. uh, but uh but it just points to to a reality that uh that's why it's so rich this tradition is so rich mm-hmm. and we can we all have a different way of approaching it and so in in this way uh well, look what's happened. You've got this lovely book, by the way. Here's the book. Well, and I think for some people, it's a it's a big leap to cross to a you know to a lineage that's from an entirely different culture. Yeah. And um, for me, it's been a real process to um, to just kind of wade through like what is just Hindu culture. Um, what are the leftovers of just, you know, the context of a lineage that came down through thousands of years in a very specific um, geography and the culture that surrounded it and all of the ways that that would inform these practices? Because, you know, most of these were practices for renunciates, for people who were um, the kind of the outcasts, the the unhealthy, those are the people who would go and do practice. Whereas householders had a kind of a different thing going on. And all of that took me a long time to just kind of dig through and understand so I could pick out like, well, what's like, what's the real 
essence in these? What's the teaching that's more universal, that's more accessible, that mm. isn't just about, you know, compounding more meanness? And um, that's a real translation process. And I know, like, for for me, there was a lot more available resource-wise than when you were in a journey of seeking, when it was like, oh, there was two books available. And and now compared to um, when I was in that, that early stage of my um, exploring, it's way more accessible. And I think there has been so much more translation that just really kind of um, breaks down, you know, like what you can just do in simple steps that doesn't mean like you're adopting an entire religion or you have to dress a certain way or whatever. Um, and I've certainly seen that, like I've seen the same thing um, in the Buddhist oligarchy, as I always call it, mm-hmm. <laughs> with Sharon and Joseph mm-hmm. and Jack. That was a real translation process for them to go to the East, to immerse themselves in these teachings, come back and figure out how that interfaces with Western culture and the Western mind, even just the languaging of how to teach and the stories they would use. So, um, you know, and that I think it was innate in your process. And now you, you see like, it's just such a different time that, but you guys had to really like, you guys were like cutting the, the path for, the rest of us Westerners to, Mm. to follow. And, uh, and it's interesting that a lot of people now, of course, are drawn to these practices who aren't into India necessarily. And that's great because you just find what works. And they're they're singing 40 verses in praise of the monkey God, Hanuman, 40 verses in, in Hindi, uh, some dialect of Hindi that they're learning off by heart. It's insane. Really? How about talking a little bit about, um, okay, let's talk about mantra. What does it mean? Yeah. You know, just because there's a, a great phrase you use, I'll let you say it uh, in this book about what it, its efficacy is. Yeah. I um, I think the simplest um, definition, and, and actually I really struggled a lot with the core definition of it because oh, yeah? it's kind of mystical and mysterious actually. Um, because, um, so I most readily call it a sacred syllable. Um, but, um, when I'm teaching like workshops and things like that, um, I almost like to define it as posing a question because, um, the idea about what a a mantra is, is that, um, it is like a sound that contains within it it's like a, a doorway to a different state of consciousness. Um, it opens something in us and awakens something in us when we say the sound or when we hear the sound. So um, just the fact that that exists and in the Hindu culture that surrounds, um, you know, the the mantras that we're talking about that are, you know, Sanskrit. Um, it's thought that they were actually sounds that were dreamt up by these great mm. rishis, the dreamers who dreamt the world into existence. 
So very mystical. But um, when I'm just talking to somebody who like walked in off the street to a workshop, <laughs> I can't exactly say that because like that makes no sense. Like, what is that? What is that? But the idea is that like there's certain words that uh, generate certain states that have more juice in them, more power in them. So, um, and I think on a really basic level, um, there's some interesting examples of that in our, our culture that, you know, different words evoke different things and um, language is so fascinating in that way. Mm. But um, OM is thought to be the actual sound of creation itself. It's thought to be the original mantra. That it's an actual, it's like the humming of creation itself, that all of life emerged from it. So there's some really beautiful um, mythology around all of these mantras. And honestly, the first maybe four years that I started practicing, I didn't want to know what any of it meant. (laughs) But they made me feel better. So I would do Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, and it would change my state of mind. And I had an experience and I didn't want to know the mythology. And slowly over time, I opened to it and opened to it. And of course, now I'm like real into it, <laughs> I'm like all the way in. Mm. Um, so that's a long answer to your question. But it left out what I loved, which yes. was your, oh. which is the more literal descri- uh, definition, yeah. right, yeah. of... of the crossing over of the yeah, mind. Crossing over the mind. I yeah. love that. I never really heard that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um yeah, that's man and tra. And so um that definition of mantra, the word itself, um, is basically pointing to the mechanism of um moving past just you know, the limited sense of self, Mm. the mind or the ego structure. That's really what that's referring to. So that's a big definition actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And for, um, (laughs) that's why I answer this question differently for different people because, um, you know, for somebody who's like just getting started exploring things, like I think that, there's a way that that makes sense and also doesn't make any sense because we're so bound in um, shape and form and have no sense that there might be more than just, you know, this is my hand and these are my feelings. Um, But for someone who has been seeking on the path for some time, um, there's a pretty expansive sense of what am I and you know, what is consciousness and, um, and all of that is the context for um, what now is something that's very normal to you and I, which is like all of these practices that help us work with the construct of the mind to access a much broader connection to life itself, a much mm. broader definition of life itself, mm. um, and a totally different definition of who we even are and what is possible with our time here. So crossing over the mind is, is a big thing. It is very um, big thing. It's the path and it's the goal beautifully. And um, so that's, what's cool about mantras is like, 
yeah, they're cool and they make you feel good and you can go all the way with them. Hmm. And uh, the other thing that you point out here is many people, and you point out a couple, Herbert Benson being one of them, have done a lot of experimentation using uh, functional MRI stuff uh, that Richie Davidson's been doing with Mm -hmm. uh, all of our friends out there, Danny Goldman. And of course, His Holiness is a big, big uh, supporter of uh, proving this stuff out, what they've known for, you know, for eons. And so the reality is, uh, I think it was Herbert uh, Benson who talked about the relaxation response Response, that happens with people who are doing repetition of mantras. Mm -hmm. So just everybody out there, this practice uh, is a proven commodity if you think that if uh, you you need some kind of backup here. That uh, of science to say this really works, uh, but I yeah. myself prefer what happened to Lily when she sat down in that church with Krishnas and everybody right. started oming, yeah. and it directly uh, that kind of direct effect. Yeah. I have seen that happen a gazillion times mm-hmm. with people, of course. and know it to be extraordinarily effective. And then you know, as you go along, you start to either investigate it further, like you did. But mm-hmm. it took you years to even want to do that because mm-hmm. it just felt good. So you can just start there. You don't have to go mm-hmm. further than that. Yeah. If it needs to, it will take you. You don't take it. It right. takes you, yeah. you know, similarly to uh, the idea of a guru. Yeah. So, and, yeah, that's important. And there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole chapter in the book about um, the scientific research around this, which was um, some of which, you know, I'd known about for some time. And then I I really dug into the to research um, when I was working on the book and found some things that were really astonishing, like around um, epigenetics that, you know, that mantras not only change, you know, physiologically change things for you, but they also um, activate or deactivate certain aspects of the DNA and that's passed on to your children. Mm, mm. I mean that's yeah. crazy. Which yeah. I, and I'm my best friend is Krishnadas's daughter, and I always joke with her. <laughs> See, you're fine because your dad did all that practice. <laughs> you got it through the DNA. Yeah. Um, but it it, it is um, really exciting to see kind of what's being shown there. I think especially for people who, um, you know, are like I've always been a little skeptical. Um, like especially if someone doesn't have that big experience in the church like maybe they don't have someone who invites them to a krishnas kirtan um but they're looking for a way to work with their mental health or insomnia or you know work with a trauma trauma cancer diagnosis whatever it might be um and i think the research is giving a really nice um entry point for people to just be more open to it and yeah yeah i like uh one of the things that you point out in terms of different efficacies of the practice you know lower blood pressure etc stuff like that decreased self-referencing which is Mm -hmm. my favorite subject in the entire world hallelujah Anything that's going to do that is a yeah. boon for each one of us because that's all we do all day long is it's self-referencing. Yeah. So 
or yeah. what uh, KD has coined as the movie of me. Yes, the movie, the movie of, of me. me. And then the reviews we write about the movie of me. So it's not <laughs> yeah. enough that we're like mm. doing the self-referencing, then we're going to give ourselves you know, shit about it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we'll feel yeah, real so shitty yeah, and then be ashamed so of it. Yeah, it's good. Good yeah. stuff. And so, uh, yeah, so this is like, so mantra is actually like, um, it's like taking a pitchfork, right? And just jamming it. <laughs> it jams in and opens up enough space so that you can be aware. It's quite, of a, quite an image. <laughs> yeah, it interrupts the cycle. Yeah, it is, that's what I mean. Yeah. It is like a softer way to put that, I'm going to say. <laughs> Yeah. But sometimes we do need like a serious interruption. Yeah. I need a pitchfork. Okay. Yeah. Some people need a need, pitchfork. Yeah. Some yeah. people, yeah. But it's, um, yeah. And it's lovely because um, it, I think it does kind of sneak up on, on people, um, you know, whether, you know, now there are a lot of places to hear mantra, but um, it doesn't have to be like a big fancy thing. Um, and, like it doesn't actually take a lot for that pitchfork to to come in, <laughs> and I've seen it with a lot of people who, you know, for um, a long time I ran and owned a yoga center in Brooklyn, mm, and yeah. which was primarily a, a yoga yoga classes, but we had um, this really remarkable kirtan program that every Friday we would do these events, and. Uh, it was maybe four or five of us who would rotate leading the kirtans. A lot of people um, like Nina Rao, who you've, um, who you know and love, and um, Ambika Pressman, Shama Chapin, David Oss, um, Jeremy, just a whole grouping of us. And um, to see over a period of about 10 years, people who would come into that experience and kind of how people would connect with it was was really amazing to see just from the point of view of of me who was a practitioner but just to understand like what what happens when people encounter this as a practice yeah. when they like really open into mantra and people that i knew for that whole period of time who would you know like there's a few people who would come every friday literally every Friday for years and years and years and years. It was kind mm. of their mainstay. And to see how the mantra practice opened their lives, changed their self-view, changed the way um, that self-referencing was, you know, like the death grip of it would get softer. Um, the patience and like inherent compassion that would kind of come to life in them just by coming and singing for a couple hours. Yeah. which in the moment was just like, yeah, it feels good. But all these benefits would kind of sneak up on them. It was so fun to see. Just yeah, like, even, yeah, absolutely. Even today, you know, and I've been doing this a long time, uh, you know, like this 8, stuff. A thousand years old. Yeah. Amazing. You look so good. I know. Thank you. <laughs> uh, even uh, the way that it just sticks in you, you know, it's mm -hmm. just like, it's like, uh, AM radio used to be for us. Mm. They'd play a pop song and they'd repeat it so much that, and the chorus would stick in your brain. Oh, right? on a loop. Totally. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That happens with, with a mantra. 
especially yeah. kirtan, which is mantra mm -hmm. that is sung mm -hmm. rather than repeated. And by the way, those yeah. are the, just so everybody knows, there's, we call, or it's called in Hindi, a japa, which is speaking mantra aloud or silently, ram, 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 mm -hmm. ram, ram, or using Yeah, that's it. what's usually done there's like with beat, one of the yeah. rosaries. Yeah. yeah. Or like Maharaji used to just do it on his just Ram, 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 like yep. that. Or it's uh, Kirtan, which is singing, like uh, anybody who knows uh, about Krishna Das. And if you don't, write me, I'll send you a song. Uh, and uh, then there's writing uh, the mantras. So like, yeah, which Maharaji yeah. used to do. He used that's to put right. it in it, only while we were with him. How about that? That's great. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know. It was that. only from 70 to 73 when all the Westerners <laughs> were with him. He kept mm -hmm. a, you know, a diary of Ram Ram. So, uh, the, uh, so there's an interesting thing in my mind that goes on uh, around the singing of mantras, kirtan, chanting, mm -hmm. is the efficacy of it is enormous. One of the reasons is, and you mentioned this before, as the music is the sugar by yeah. which the vibration of and power mm -hmm. of the actual mantra can get through. So you don't have to think about it. You don't have to do anything. It just is, is, it just is. And so, especially here in the West and because of a lot of it, because of Krishna's and Jai Utah, mm -hmm. um, I would say, um, Bhagwan Das in the very beginning, um, it it uh, the beauty of us expressing ourselves through music using the mantra is is really something to think about over all these years, yeah. and the way in which so many people can gravitate it for because the chord changes are more Western, you know, the Krishnas is used, Jai maybe a little bit more tradition, but traditional mm -hmm. uh but this is a very very powerful way for people to enter into this practice yeah but it comes with a little bit of that you point out it comes with a little bit of hmm you got to watch out a little bit now yeah. what's happened and lily knows me enough to know how much uh let's say i have very catholic tastes around kirtan and look askance at many of us that are doing it uh, and that's just my little uh curmudgeonly thing but but there is a way in which um the lesson is and you point this out in the book this is not about entertainment this is about mm -hmm. practice yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, at times we get a little involved in the entertainment part because that's how we grew up. We grew up wanting to be in rock and roll bands and, you know, folk singing and, and uh, you know, all of yeah. that kind of a thing. So uh, I it's something to notice. Yeah, I don't uh, I'll tell you a story. I uh, when I was with. Maharaji in India. Once we were in Allahabad, and I was in a uh, a rickshaw with a friend of mine, Balaram Das, uh, who took many of the great pictures of Maharaji. Who lives like a mile from me now. He lives a mile from me. Yeah. yeah. Um, there used to be a movie at the time. I can't remember. Dum Maradam. Basically, mm -hmm. it was a jive about Westerners who smoked pot you know, or charis or hash. 
and they would go dum mara dum hari you know and they'd make that sign yeah yeah, yeah. hari krishna hari ram you <laughs> idiot hippies get yeah. out of here you know at least that was what i so i they did that to nice. we went by a movie theater where it was playing and they uh -huh. a bunch of young guys came out hey you hippies dum mara dum you know and i oh went what the f you know like yeah. that yeah balaram turned to me and went what are you talking about it's the name. It doesn't matter. Mm. It is still mm. the name, mm. you know. Nice. It is still the name. Yeah. Well, it's. I think it's important to remember that our training in the West is that our whole culture teaches us that we will be happy if we are beautiful, if we are successful, if we are pleasant, if we sound good, if we look good, if we stay young. That's what we're taught. So, of course, when we encounter any practice, we're going to bring all that baggage along with us mm -hmm, because yeah. some part of us has been taught, this is what's going to get me happy. Mm, That's yeah. what we're looking for. So, yes, when you walk into a room and because the kirtan is call and response, so the leader first sings the mantra and then everyone else in the room sings it back. And I see it every time. <laughs> the, the first time you're like, okay, sing it back. And everyone's like, because <gasps> the first thing that happens is that conditioning is like I have to sound a certain way in order yeah. for this to work. Yeah, yeah. So right away we're cutting through that conditioning and looking through a different mechanism that says actually maybe that doesn't work. Maybe there's another way. So you have to kind of put down the conditioning long enough to try it. And um, what's what's really fun about like um, spending time in India and uh, you guys have so many amazing stories of this is that when you encounter somebody who's singing kirtan or there's also bhajans these like longer kind of love songs um, they're not good singers like at all but the most amazing ones like like our beloved KK um, who most of your listeners know about um, there was so much coming through it. It didn't matter if sonically it was masterful or, you know, that they were a well-trained vocalist or that they played the instrument beautifully. The, the feeling, the bhav um, of, of like the calling out that was happening, like that would transcend everything. But for Westerners, you have to kind of give a little permission yeah. say like, okay, we got to put this idea down that this is Celine Dion, like that being Celine Dion is going to get you to the goal. You have to put that down and then just get comfortable just singing. Like, let's just sing. It's okay. We're going to, you can sound like shit and it's not about that. It's really about what you bring to it. And of course the deeper mechanism here is that, we really are training the mind by gathering our attention into the anchor of the practice, which is the mantra. Yeah. And that, um, that mechanism is the same as with meditation practice or asana practice. And so it's using the mantra as a vehicle to, to gather ourselves, to move from this like fragmented place. And that's that feeling when you, when you hear someone like KD or who, Jai, um, who like some, them, some transmission is happening because they're, they've, 
brought everything into the mantra in that moment. It's like that's all that exists. And that's why it becomes this pathway for a whole other way of being, right? Because what happens if we show up all the way, if we're not 18 places at once? But but yeah, people, and uh, you know, as the yoga industry became a thing in the in the West, and you know, uh, a lot of people started doing practice that was pretty divorced from the broader philosophy or context, and um, a lot of a lot of musicians started doing um, sort of integrating these like <laughs> spiritual nice things. <laughs> oh my god. I'm a real hater. I mean, I lived in New York for like 20 years. Um, I love everyone, but I don't like them necessarily. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, I like that. I'll <laughs> but I'll be that. kind. I will be yeah. kind. But um, yeah, so there's a lot of people who started, you know, doing mantras and had really kind of no understanding of what it was, which um, that's cool. It's like what what um, what your friend said. It's like it's the name and. I think that in any context, um, it's going to do something like Mm. a seed is going to get planted and, you know, over time, Mm. maybe many lifetimes, it's going to start to sprout something. And I I think aside from the reality of that, this is a practice is no more or less. It's a meditation. Mm-hmm. Because you're using that, as you said, an anchor of the mantra. And when you realize that you're lost in thought, you come back to it. You know, we have mm-hmm. our wonderful teacher, Sharon Salzberg, who has emphasized that yeah. the the beauty of the human condition is we can always come back. Yeah. You know, we can come back to the, to the breath. We can come back to the mantra. We can back to our, uh, our true selves. And, and when we see you know, our wacky motivations that are, mm-hmm. that are on, on, yeah. on a day-to-day basis. So, mm-hmm. But the other thing that's there is, and you mentioned this as well, is the, the emotional expression that comes from a heart when uh, there's a certain melodic structure that's mm-hmm. just, you know, the beauty of the Indian thing is the yeah. ragas they have and so many different melodic mm-hmm. structures that allow for like longing you know, yeah. that open up a heart yeah. and you, that with the mantra and the music um, is just a spectacular way of, uh, of transcending, you know, the little mini me stuff that we, we are on a, in a daily war yeah. with, you know. So yeah. that's why it's beautiful in both those ways. Yeah, I, I think it is very potent because of that. And I was, you know, a musician for my, the mm. first... Um, decade that I lived in New York I moved there to pursue music and so music for me has always been a very healing vessel and um, so the combination of the two I find to be very powerful and I've you know I myself has have had a lot of experiences where yeah just it does feel like the the power of the music takes me somewhere I mean, we've all had those big moments where we're in some concert and, you know, your favorite song comes on and it just like changes every molecule in your body. Yeah. Like it's, it's a very, um, and there's, a, you know, a whole world um, that 
uh, explores the way different sound and frequencies do different things in the body and all of that, um, which is another conversation. Yeah. But to take those ingredients and combine them with mantra, I think is um, is like a, a double-edged tool for us yeah. that just yeah. is so much more effective because that the beauty of the music has a way of pulling you back to, you know, some people just have a lot of difficulty doing like breath meditation because it just feels too dry to them, too mm. kind of divorced. Um, they need something that's a little juicier. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, singing mantra can, can be really great. And, and I've also, you know, I've done a lot my teacher Dharma was a really like he started me drawing ohms for years. And that is a very lovely embodied practice because it's like the physicality of writing mm -hmm. out a mantra. that's mm -hmm. so soothing. And, you know, there's people who spend a lifetime uh, learning how to write Sanskrit yeah. as a spiritual as path. A practice. Yeah. So, yeah. The other great thing uh, people in this book is, uh, there are all of the main mantras that many of us have been doing for all these years. You know, for instance, the Gayatri mantra. Dave, mm -hmm. Deva Pramal, by the way, you know, Deva Pramal did that. I think it's her for Battlestar Galactica. Is the opening Amazing. theme. That did you me know so that? Happy. No. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the great television shows that ever was. It's like this hilarious. long series, and then every time it comes on, you. You hear, you know, that angelic Bur -bur -bur voice and, <laughs> and beautiful mantra, you know. So, uh, well, I'm gonna have to go uh, watch that tonight. Yeah, you have to. Oh, yeah. Oh, you haven't seen Battlestar Galactica? Are you kidding? It's unbelievable. Well, I'm watching Picard right now. Oh, I'm really okay. into Star Trek. <laughs> I'm really into sci-fi. I mean, oh, okay. Well, then you will love this. Yeah. Uh, and and also, of course, of course, Maha Mantra. Yeah. Right. Which is the Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, 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 Hari Hari, Hari Nam, Hari Nam, Dam Dam, Hari Hari. Now yeah. that has been espoused, of course, by um, the Hari Krishna people that mm -hmm. we know of, uh, the people the in the come. airports. But they're no longer in the airports for some <laughs> reason. I'm not quite sure. Um, and uh, <laughs> there, there is a you know a serious. I mean, they were the first people I ever heard of mantra was me going. Mm. I went. We used to go there to eat because the food was on Sunday morning. It was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. was in Montreal where I lived, uh -huh. and then we heard the mantra. Actually, yeah. where did I hear it first? No, I heard it first from Allen Ginsberg. Allen Ginsberg had this little squeeze box harmonium thing, and <laughs> so he could talk about somebody who couldn't sing in tune whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. and he would do this, but with such joy. Mm -hmm. He was so great. And I heard that and I went, oh, God, yeah, that sounds mm -hmm. cool, you know. And then, okay, f um, so, of course, I went to India. And, of course, that's the main mm -hmm. practice that we brought back, that came mm -hmm. back with us, exemplified by Jai and Krishna Das and Bhagavan Das back then. And so it's been that alongside of for me meditation you know thank god mm -hmm. for sharon jack mm -hmm. and joseph well yeah. we we met goenka in india back then in munindra um and the combination of and as as i know it's your your favorite uh, practice as well is uh, is extraordinary yeah then one day a friend of mine invited me to a convocation of the Hare krishna people when i lived in north carolina in this incredible ashram 
in mm. Boone, North Carolina. And mm. every year, actually mm. around Memorial Day, they all get together a huge hall. I mean, there's a couple of thousand people and they have they have like lots of rooms and big kitchen. It's just an amazing place. Mm -hmm. He said, you got to come. And I go, oh, no, kidding. I'm going to come to the Hare Krishna thing. Are you nuts? <laughs> he said, listen, yeah, I know you and you got to come. I said, okay, you know, and just meet up with me. So I went and um, it's where I met this one particular uh, Hare Krishna uh, chanter who is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the, if not the best, one of them, Madhava Prabhu, who comes up with just extraordinarily simple, heart-opening melodies and so on. And he was there, and I got blown away by uh, the reality. In the end, which is what they say, there's only one thing to do. You just do this mantra. There's nothing else to do. This is the only thing that will take you from the, from the shore of ignorance to the shore of enlightenment is just do this mantra, which I always hated the way they were so fundamental about all that. Yeah. In the end, I was about to get in the line where you get your hair cut, you just have a top notch and become a Hare Krishna guy. I was going to do it because I realized you're right. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. You know, I'm kidding in one way, but in another yeah. way, the efficacy of it mm -hmm. uh, is extraordinary. When and, and if you go do it, because they were doing it 24 seven, you know, over yeah. these, five yeah. days or whatever it was yeah. uh and you know you guys i've been only once or twice in in new york when uh do the new year's thing mm -hmm. with the, uh, the 12 hours yeah, yeah of the hanuman chalisa these yeah. things will sh if you can find anywhere and you can if you go out to the taos ashram ninkaroli baba hanuman ashram in taos mm -hmm. where they have a lot of of, of these 24-hour kirtans recitations uh you will see undoubtedly the efficacy of yeah. the of the mantra. George, you have this beautiful quote from George. Of all mantras, the Maha Mantra has been prescribed as the easiest and surest way for attaining God realization in this present age. I love you George. have to tell him George who? George Harrison. There's only one George. <laughs> not George Bush. Okay. Uh, well, and I was just at your house and, and you were playing this new uh, video of George singing yeah yeah the mantra that we that found out of the we blue. had just found yeah because of course so... on all things shall pass there's some really beautiful mantra yeah, yeah but um well and before you asked me about um kind of how mantra practice um ha how i found it when talking mm -hmm. about efficacy mm -hmm. yeah. as compared to these other practices and you know as somebody who originally came my you know that training i I had for years with Dharma was really a well-rounded path and that um, mantra practice was one aspect of. And for many years, um, for maybe five or six years, my daily practice was a really big mix. It was physical postures, it was breathing practices, meditation, mantra, and then service. But I had some pretty intense um, health problems um, that kind of happened smack in the middle of um, like the height of the, of the success of my yoga center. And I was teaching a lot and I started to have some really massive issues with my spine. 
And it took many years to um, kind of figure out that I had this whole um, anomaly in my spine. And through the course of that period of time, I, you know, went from being essentially like a professional athlete that could do anything with my body. I had like practiced so much and, um, you know, was teaching like 25 classes a week to um, ultimately being stuck in bed on bed rest for about a year's time mm-hmm. and being, you know, like unable to like get to the bathroom myself at a young, you know, in my mid thirties. And um, so that was a really huge experience that came after, you know, many years of practice and and many years of training and, you know, a lot of time teaching too. And, and a time when I felt like, you know, I was pretty solid and things, right? Mm. <laughs> and then, you know, kind of out of nowhere, I really got the shit kicked out of me. And um, it took a long time for me to even know what was going on because this was such a, uh, it's basically like a birth defect that I have in my spine. And uh, so through that period of time, as my condition got worse and my pain got worse and I became you know, less functional of a person, those practices that had been my mainstay for so long, I stopped being able to do all of them. Like I couldn't even move my body. Um, And the one thing that I could still do was mantra practice. Mm, Yeah. And that was a really, um, you know, horrendous experience, let's be honest. But, um, it was very fascinating to me that mantras still uh, helped me somehow. And it wasn't like they fixed everything because, you know, I had years of, of um, really, you know, horrendous pain and it took me a really long time to build back to where I was like a functional independent person again, let alone teaching or anything like that. But um the practice uh, gave me an outlet to just stay connected with myself during that period of time, which I think like for a lot of us, you know, we have very lofty ideas of what it means to get enlightened in this like life, like the Hare Krishna people were saying, you know, like, Oh, all my problems will be gone or, Oh, I'm just going to be happy all the time. It's going to like constant ice cream. Amazing. And it is just not really like that. You know, It like we're still people, we're still in the body, we still encounter, you know, what's coming down the pipeline for us. And there are a lot of things that we encounter that are not easy, that are not fair. But having, uh, having the mantra practice, like it gave me a way to... Um, to cope really mm. and to mm. not just um, be afraid all the time yeah. because you know you go through something like that and are really faced with how uh, little control we have over our lives and it's deeply frightening because mm. like so much of the time we're just like we're <laughs> managing yeah. that yeah. That's, so yeah, it's very great very great to have you no matter what you might even not have like if you're let's say ill i bet at that time when you're in bed it might have been even hard to 
to do any kind of meditative practice, you know, following oh, yeah. the breath, you know, because of the distraction. But yeah. you always had that mantra available right. to repeat. That's and right. it's like the, you know, as they say in India, it's a boat that takes you. Yeah. And I, sure you hang ignorance. on to it for dear life. Yeah, hang on. Yeah. It is the, it is the lifeline. Yeah. So, so th that was really, uh, that was really helpful for me. And to understand, I think that different practices have different purposes really. And that, you know, for those of us who have the privilege of being really healthy, either physically or mentally, like, yeah, we have access to certain practices that somebody else just can't do. Like if you've encountered a lot of trauma in your life, mindfulness is not going to help you. It's actually going to make your trauma worse. But certain other practices are very effective for you. Yeah. And, you know, now that we have access to so many options, I think um, it's the much higher chance of somebody finding something that is really helpful and, um, and can take them through, you know, whatever they're facing yeah. in, life, in a way yeah. that's, that's better, that's, yeah, less afraid, more connected. And, and even, you know, like it won't fix everything. But um, we don't have to be uh, so isolated from ourselves, from others. Uh, we can connect to something a little bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And that's a big deal. Yeah. So to summarize uh, this chat is to say uh, we'll put in the show notes all of the different um, Hare Krishna addresses that you can go down there and sign up. And, okay. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, yeah. and, it's and such the, a it's a dichotomy, okay, folks. So, it really yeah. is. I mean, because it's so real. Yeah. And then, but we as humans distort stuff a little bit. I would say, of course, you know, and that's just part of the process. But yeah. the power of mantra is yeah. is self evident when you even even just as Lily did. He went. She went into the church and started. They started oming, and she started oming, and that was the beginning of. Uh, yeah. the next part of her life right? really. yeah and the book um, the publisher of the book uh, approached me and asked me to write this book for them it wasn't something I was like planning mm. on doing mm -hmm. but I really loved the idea and especially because even in like the Ramdas community or people who chant with Krishnadas I know just a lot of folks don't have a home practice or a regular practice and that the the only way they feel uh, like they can access these things is by going to a retreat or to an event. And um, that's great if you can do that, but it is something that is very easy to kind of take up for yourself. So the, the book is really like a handbook and half of it is um, a breakdown of 13 different mantras, mantras yeah. meaning and, it's meant to just like empower you to do the practice, um, yeah. even if it's just something you do for five minutes a day. Um, well, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna use it for our fellowship program. Um, awesome. We're gonna we're gonna get a whole pile of them and get them out there, Great. because it'll be really useful for people. Because uh, people want to know what this is and how to yeah. approach it and so on. So I'm really happy that you were here to talk about it, Lily. Good. Really great. Yeah. And again, all in the show notes, there's links to everything and yeah. particularly the book, which is uh, something 
Um, and it's, it's, yeah. I like the way it's in a small format. You can easily take it around with you. And if you, totally. you know, it's got the mantras there. It's a so great it's really little good. And there's yeah. a, a whole companion that goes with it too. That's like a pronunciation guide. Um, mm. There's some call and response mantras that you can download and also written guides so you can learn how mm -hmm. to write them. Right. So it's a real good toolkit. Um, yeah. And a lot of references as well. Yeah. So that's great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, so much Lily. For having me. Great yeah. to have you. So and good. Uh, so this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And you can also listen to Sharon Salzberg, who is Lily's She's boss. My boss. She's my and, boss. Yeah. We couldn't have a better <laughs> boss than that, I don't think. And yeah. uh, and, and many others uh, to yeah. uh, to help get a life in balance. See you next week, everyone. Bye.